In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. With your permission, Lord Jesus Christ, truly present with us in the Blessed Sacrament, and we continue to pray about the resurrection event. And in light of the Holy Father's new exhortation, that is just what the doctor ordered on holiness, being a saint in the middle of the world, evangelizing from the nooks and crannies of our society, we want to use that bit as our theme for prayer. And also, it affords us an opportunity to be united to Peter, the rock, on which our Lord builds his church. And I'd like to title this meditation, in light of the Holy Father's exhortation, Evangelizing the Grassroots. How's that as a title? This is nothing original. This is another way of describing a parable. Our Lord speaks about what it involves to Christianize the culture. We need to think along those lines because when Jesus talks about spreading the gospel, it's always the entire world, the ends of the earth. Uh, St. Mark, who quotes Peter so it enjoys a special accuracy, uh, preached to all, every creature. I was going to say, it wasn't because our Lord was into animal rights. Maybe he was, he created them. But it's just to use that Mideastern hyperbole to drive home that everyone needs the gospel. Everyone, whether they realize it or not, and the great majority of the population don't realize it, they need Christ. And it is Christ's will, who is the incarnation of God's mercy, that all of us receive the gospel message. And the gospel is a, means good news. That's what it means. Everybody is meant to be a recipient of this good news. And we look at the resurrection event. There's a certain kind of tone there. I would say there is an optimistic anxiety there. Things are a bit different. This is the fourth phase of our Lord's life. First the infancy, then his public life, which is the bulk of the gospel, and then a close second is his passion. And now his resurrection. And it's sort of a transitory period. You could see that he is getting his followers ready to deal with him without seeing him and to be united to him in prayer now because now he's no longer here in this world, in the flesh. And what we notice is that he appears frugally, but they don't recognize him immediately. And then eventually they recognize him. And they only recognize him after a dialogue. And I think this is a, a little bit of a lesson in prayer that we deal with the Lord whom we do not see 
And then we eventually, on some level in this life, we see him, at least with the eyes of our heart and the eyes of our faith. But that's not, that's a focus, obviously. But there's an anxiety about getting the word out. On Easter morning, we celebrated the visit the holy women made to our Lord. These are very faithful and loving women. They don't try to figure out how do I move the boulder that is sealing the tomb or sealing the cave or the cavern where the tomb is. And they're bringing in ointments and spices to anoint the body because they couldn't extend their visit on the day of the Passover. And they see the gardener who's an angel and then eventually they see our Lord. And you notice that our Lord doesn't say, okay, ladies, let's sit down and and just chill for a while. There's none of that stuff going on. Or let's talk about last week, the horrific experience. Well, it's all fine and well. Let's have a get-together and celebrate and break out the wine and, and the matzo bread, and let's celebrate. You have been the most faithful. It's no, it's, all right, ladies, we don't have much time. Go back to Galilee and announce this to my followers. And... The apostles, or two of them, John and Peter, visit our Lord, and then they have this sense of urgency, announce the resurrection. Jesus appears to Peter, gets him to go to confession, because that's exactly what happened. He asked him three times, do you love me? Because his sin was, I love you more than these guys do. Even if they betray you, I will never deny you. And that's what he did. He compared himself, and then he blew it. And so our Lord asked him three times, Peter, Do you love me more than the others do? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. So Peter doesn't commit that same sin. And then our Lord asks him a third time, and that just shook up Peter to the core because it was definitely a flashback of his triple denial. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus immediately says, all right, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. It's always get the word out. And so we read the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles could not be written until the resurrection. What's the heart of the Acts of the Apostles, which is the first history of the church book written by the Holy Spirit? He is alive. Sins can be forgiven now because he has died on the cross and risen from the dead. The sign of Christian victory. They call him the way of life. They call him the way. And so there's this anxiety in the Acts of the Apostles. Get the word out. Speak to him. Now, I say this with tremendous respect. I enjoy reading these magisterial documents from recent popes. They're very deep. They serve for food for prayer. From Paul VI to Francis. And I say this with respect, but for the great majority of the population, they're irrelevant. They're not objectively irrelevant. I mean, you've got teachings of the Holy Spirit there. But for the average man, the average woman, it's irrelevant. But Christ is not irrelevant. And the burden of of getting the word out, I mean, I have to shoulder the burden, but kind of spoiled 
you know, I have people after a long day's work, they come to listen to me and hopefully somehow the Holy Spirit will say something. But once you get out of here in this, the confines of this fantasy island, you know, good men praying, going to confession, adoring the Blessed Sacrament, and then you go out to the real world. And as the Holy Father says, the periphery, sometimes the periphery can be in our own home. And you're expected to announce the resurrection. How do we do that? Do we say it factually? Hey, guess what? Jesus is risen from the dead. It may work with us guys here. So we say it factually. No, it doesn't. You can't say it factually. It means zero. Evangelization is not announcing facts. And the hope of the church is grassroots. You know, I, I know a lot goes on on a macro level, nationally, ecclesiastically, in Washington, in the Vatican. We respect it. But where the rubber meets the road is in your home and in your workplace, in your social surroundings. That's the hope of the church. All the theories in the world, all the addresses in the world, don't evangelize unless it's done on a grassroots level. For that reason, when Jesus hung out, his first 30 years was grassroots in a small town in Nazareth working as a carpenter. There's a message there. He does in order to teach. And hence, St. Matthew is the only one who records this. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. This is a very special parable. They're all special. But there's nothing special about leaven in itself. You don't say, well, it's like I want to eat some leaven. But there's something in that leaven that transforms the entire batch of dough. Being first-generation American, I used to watch my grandmother, you know, twice a year, she'd make tons and tons of Sicilian pizza, which I would have uh, for breakfast. I loved cold Sicilian pizza for lunch and for dinner, if I was able to. And I would watch that dough rise and, and, and just get transformed with the yeast she would insert in there. And it would get warm and she would cover it with a towel. What's going on with the yeast? It, it touches the dough. It interacts with the dough. And it takes a couple hours. Put it in there and say, well, we can't bake it yet until the whole yeast penetrates uh, the rest of the dough. And so the whole thing, you know, the little a fistful of concentrated dough would become, I don't know, 10 times its size. And now it's ready to be turned into uh, a pizza, pizza bread or pizza base. That's what Jesus is saying. The batch of dough is the world. I'm the yeast. I'm not different. I'm not better. Yeast in itself is not better than dough, but it's got something. And what is it? It's my, my activated grace of baptism. Why do I say activate? Because everybody has it. When I start to engage my freedom in prayer, in charity, in repentance, in bearing the cross, I become leavened. I am empowered 
to have an influence to the degree that I have that heart of Jesus. I've never gotten this kind of question. In fact, no factual information has converted anybody. I'm not saying it doesn't have its value. Truth always has its value. But when someone, for example, brings a buddy to confession or brings a friend to mass, it's not because that friend lost a debate with a good Christian or good Catholic. It's because that person on some level gave them an experience of the heart of Jesus. I'm thinking of a sick young lady who started a friendship with one of her nurses. And without calling it that, the nurse was intrigued. The joy, the friendliness, the warmth. And, and she said, well, off the record, we're fighting over who should take care of you because you're so fun to be with. And this nurse started to get spiritual direction from the patient. It wasn't called that. But in the, within the context of friendship. There are so many stories of this kind where it's this one-on-one -on -one apostolate that St. Jose Maria talks about. I'm a little bit, uh, not indignant is a strong word, but uh, maybe surprised or even jealous. I've read a book many years ago, not that long, but you know, sociologists writing about early Christianity. Well, what was their secret? How did they transform an empire when it was a ma and pa operation? What did they do? They didn't have any physical churches. You'd get killed if you did. You had very little written material, you had very little. It was against the law. And they said, well, one-on-one. -on -one. He said, and it geometrically started to grow because one-on-one, one-on-one over a period of 200 years transformed an empire like this one, except with, without the modern technology. Why am I jealous? We could have written a book like that ourselves. And there's always, everybody says, I am, see, I am coming back because the witness of my friend. So hence, St. Josemaria says, it is necessary that you be a man of God, a man of interior life, a man of prayer and of sacrifice. Your apostolate or evangelization must be the overflow of your life within. It's not uncommon this generic story where a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, salesman says, I am starting to say the rosary because my client or because of my patient or because of my customer. Our Lord says that we announce the resurrection by reflecting that he really rose from the dead by our love. And it only can come by activating the grace of that. Activating it through my commitment to prayer and to my commitment to charity. What resolution do I want to make in light of evangelizing the grassroots? What do I do? Well, the Holy Father says in his exhortation, 
right in our own home. I am evangelizing every time I treat someone well. It sounds very trite. That's all it is? No, do it. Do it consistently. Don't do it sporadically. Do it consistently. And that everybody I meet, St. John Paul would say, you know, and we ask our Lord as we pray, I'd like to be there. He said, anybody would approach him. He said, that's our Lord approaching me. Now, that's kind of easy when someone's likable, someone's attractive. When there's reciprocity. It's not that easy when we don't get much of a response, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's with a mere acquaintance. And then I learned to really love my family in deeds, one-on-one attention, attitude of availability, a joyful demeanor, a show of interest to them in my conversation. But this is all driven by piety. See, there's two dimensions to discipleship, to announcing the resurrection, and it's symbolized by the cross. There's a vertical component of the cross. That comes first before the horizontal. And the vertical signifies piety, raising your mind to Christ, to God. That has to be there. And then the horizontal is dealing with God, dealing with Christ through our love for others. The horizontal hangs on the vertical. And the vertical without the horizontal doesn't mean much either. And so these two components of discipleship is the way to announce he indeed has risen. And the paradigm, uh, St. Luke, and I just want to fast forward, this deserves probably a whole retreat. It's the, the walk to Emmaus. These two apostles, they're blown away. Jesus died on the cross. It's a horrific way of dying. We'll never appreciate the trauma those early Christians went through in witnessing this or at least knowing about it. And so they think that the game is over. You're not going to extend the kingdom. The founder has been brutally killed. And Jesus walks with them. And so this form of this evangelization first begins with prayer. I mean, they're talking to someone they don't know, but it's the resurrected Jesus. They don't they're walking and walking and walking. And then I'm going to fast forward. And their eyes were open, they recognized them, and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, okay, this is key, and I'll finish with this. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? Didn't my heart burn within me? What does that mean? With love, which wasn't there before. Now listen. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, who said, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. There's energy there. There's conviction there. What do they do? They pray and they go back and start beginning the work of evangelization. Mary ingrained this point in my heart and the hearts of these men as well. St. Josemaria quotes what I just read. Was not our heart burning within us while he spoke to us on the way? If you're an apostle, these words of the disciples of Emmaus should rise spontaneously to the lips of your professional companions when they meet you along the ways of their lives. Mary.
let it be. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, I hope you see your wisdom.